0: in this whole realm of functional medicine and kind of looking at disease before it happens. And I think that that is really, really important today, especially when we're talking about learning more about ourselves and, and being more emotionally intelligent. You know, When we just have come from the doctor and we found out that our cholesterol is three times what it should be, we are not going to be our best version. We are not in our highest emotional intelligence state to have that meeting or that discussion. Right. Um, so when we talk about blood work, I love to get really proactive and say, okay, let's look at it in terms of relative to self, relative to traditional ranges, relative to functional ranges. And then there's just so much more in there in terms of where we can go to kind of become the more optimal versions of ourselves.
1: You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Welcome to episode 17 of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast slash show. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole. This interview with Dr. Catherine Giley, well, let's just say it didn't go as I expected it to. And here's why. First off, Dr., I call her Dr. K, but Dr. Katherine Giley did an amazing job Phenomenal job, and I don't think anyone else could have handled this recording or interview any more gracefully than she did. Here's what happened on my end, not her end. I have been experiencing allergies to our cat Nala for some time now several months but it seems like it's getting worse and worse. And I knew that I had a podcast interview coming up that evening and I didn't want to be all stuffy and snotty and uh, all that icky stuff that comes with allergies. And I never take allergy medicine. I just kind of deal with it. But I decided, you know what, maybe I should take something. And so I did. Really bad idea. I didn't realize how out of it I was. I knew I felt a little tired and a little loopy. But when I was going back through this interview, I'm thinking, man, I missed so many opportunities to ask some really great questions and dive in a little bit deeper. And I kind of got lost a little bit in the conversation. So I want to apologize to you, the listener, or especially if you are a first-time guest listening to this, I promise you, I do not handle all conversations this poorly. Now, again, Dr. Gile just took it as like nothing happened nothing's going on and maybe i'm hypercritical of myself but i just want to disclose that so if you're scratching your head thinking brittany where are you going with this that's that's partially why however the good news here here's the silver lining dr k was amazing she offered some amazing information some information about blood and how to tie that into emotional intelligence. We also talked about nutrition and fear. So I am very curious to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what your takeaway is for this episode. So before we dive in to our interview with Dr. K, Dr. K is a consultant. She's an author. She's a nonprofit founder, CEO, uh board member, media personality, you name it. I mean, she is just a rock star. So I am super excited as I always am. I know that that's my favorite go-to, super excited, but I really am. I'm very excited and it's an honor to introduce Dr. Catherine Guiley. So without further ado, here is our very interesting conversation. All right. Hello, Dr. K. It's good to see you again. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: And also, thank you for the Dr. K title. Like, I'm embracing <laughs> that. And, you know, I'm, I've been Dr. Catherine. I've been Dr. Gile. This is
1: way more fun. I think it's going to stick. So thank you. Well, you can thank Leanne Hoffer for that because she's the one who actually introduced us with, hey, Brittany, meet Dr. K. And I'm like, oh, I like that. So you can thank her for letting that stick. Um, when I was on your podcast last week or the week before last, I just, I think we hit it off. It was kind of like the long lost friend thing and you're just such an authentic person. And I know people throw that word around authentic so often, but you are, and you're just, you're humorous as well. Like you just have this fun, genuine personality, which I love. So I am beyond excited to have you on the living and leaning with emotional intelligence podcast I will say, though, I was a little nervous about the topic because when I reached out to you, I was like, so what do you want to talk about? There's so many different directions we can go. You're like, blood. <laughs> and I'm like, if you can tie that to emotional intelligence, you go for it. And you're like, I, I think I can. So I am excited, um, not only for our listeners, but I'm excited as well personally to learn how we can Uh, tie emotional intelligence and blood together. So tell us the spiffy title you came up with for this discussion.
0: Oh, I love it. I love when like great ideas just pop into our heads. Typically when we're not at the desk, right? When we're out like in nature, in the shower, like that thing is real. So I was like, why don't we do blood, sweat, and fear? Um, Because we'll be talking a lot about fear today and there's so much fear potential right now Mm. in the global pandemic and what's happening with the economy. So um, really, we're going to be talking about fear, what it means, and how more awareness, self-awareness, and yes, emotional intelligence helps us to manage that fear.
1: Yeah, definitely. And for those of you listening, also uh, check out the interview with Dr. Rebecca Heiss, because Dr. Rebecca Heiss is a biologist who actually talks about fear as well. So that's a perfect episode to pair with this one. So Dr. K, you know a lot about blood and I'm gonna leave it at that because if I go any further, I'm past my um, level of understanding. So I'm gonna let you just start us off. And before we do that, I want you to just introduce yourself in your own way.
0: That's such a great question because the answer will be different Depending on the day, depending on the context. And I know that you typically start out interviews this way and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting because most people get a bio and they like make it all succinct and then they roll with that. But the idea of having somebody sort of summarize their essence um, at the start of an interview at that time at that moment is really interesting. And so I mentioned that I actually had some blood work done today and then I had to take a nap because it was a really long appointment and I'm still recovering from COVID. And um, so I took a nap, I got up and I meditated, which is what I normally do in the morning. And I'm like, how am I going to introduce myself today? Because so much of what I'm all about is I'm a mom, like I still have my two kids at home. Normally my daughter would be at college, but she's home because of the circumstances. I just checked in with my son, who's a sophomore in high school and, and said, mama's going to be on an interview across the hall. So let's <laughs> keep it down a little bit. Um, I've got my two furry babies and and my husband who popped in too and said like, can we, you know, do you have a minute? I'm like, not right now. You know, so I'm a mom, I'm a wife, um, you know, running my house, house, we all call me like this CMO, like the chief medical officer of the house, because there's so much that we as women and moms and wives do to kind of be the advocate for our family. And that was something that came up during my appointment today with my very compassionate healthcare provider was, wow, Catherine, like you've been An advocate for yourself through all of these years i've been through so much of my own medical journey Mm -hmm. so in terms of the essence i see myself really as a transformational leader but really more of a mirror meaning that i'm not going to tell a leader of an organization or a client that i'm working with the answer Uh, i might help guide them towards the answer but part of it is just a mirror of, you know, looking at themselves and yeah. maybe getting out of the way sometimes so that these very brilliant people listening to the show today, running organizations, running their households, whatever they're doing, running their own lives can really tap into their own essence and their own truth and their own answers. So I oh. guess transformational leader, but maybe more transformational mirror.
1: I love that. I absolutely love that. Wow. When we talk about emotional intelligence and fear, we also talk about the mind-body connection. And I know with your expertise in health and wellness, you know how important that is because I, our thoughts create our reality. And so whenever we are also in that state of fight or flight response, we're not always thinking either to alter that reality because we're emotionally hijacked. And these uh, responses are meant to be short lived, right? They're, they're good for us in short circumstances where we need to survive. But with the modern world, we have all these modern day stressors that are causing us to stay in that heightened state of emotional arousal for, for very long periods of time. And that releases a ton of chemicals in the brain, right? Which get into our bloodstream. And I know that's kind of the direction we're gonna go with it today. But that's about where the buck stops with me. Like, I have no clue what is past that. I understand how cortisol affects things, how it constricts arteries, but how does that actually impact the blood itself?
0: Sure. Okay. So blood, sweat, and fear. Let's unpack it first by talking a little bit more about fear. And I totally agree that listeners should go and listen to Dr. Rebecca Heiss because her interview, her background as a biologist and understanding uh, the brain and actually the you know, our ancestral versions of the brain, which are still very much in play today, is very important. Um, I love to talk about fear as an acronym. And so that acronym is Fantasizing Experiences Appearing Real.
1: Oh. Now I'm going to give
0: full credit to Jack Canfield. I'm also a certified Jack Canfield trainer, and I love his work. And what he is talking about there is that the brain often does not know the difference between what is imagined or what it is thought, like you're saying right. the connection between our thoughts and our mm-hmm. bodies, or our reactions, and what is actually happening, so we can get ourselves into a state of heightened fear response, which really means you know this is going to dr. Rebecca's interview, right you know, going into that limbic brain, that downstairs brain, that brain that um, is there for really one thing, and that is to keep us alive. It's our survival instincts. Uh, but that's where we go when we do feel threatened. And today, and you know from um, emotional intelligence, that th- being threatened um, is a lot less likely to occur because we're attacked or because a you know, big tiger is trying to eat right. us. But instead, because we feel left out, because we feel unseen, because we are not heard and who is not hearing us and who is not seeing us, but it is our tribe members. And that's where we really get into how this all connects with the workplace and our corporate clients. The tribe today is no longer sitting around a fire um, Mm. and, you know, going to the cave to sleep at night. The tribe is our colleagues that we spend our time with at work. We want to feel safe. With our colleagues. We want all of those things that provide safety with our colleagues. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, you know, if you're an adult, you're spending most of your awake hours with your colleagues, so they're your tribe. Uh, yeah. We can talk about picking your tribe carefully, and we can even get into how learning about ourselves, working with somebody like you or like me. Um, that helps people to you know, put up the mirror and see what's going on behind the mirror. Sometimes we don't even see the many facets that are going on, but always being aware that when we show up in a fear state at work, let's just say, and it's also true in every part of our lives, but if we show up in a fear state, we are not at our highest emotional intelligence level. We are not the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. And we are putting us all as a tribe at risk in that moment.
1: 100% because we cannot rationally process information when we are in that state. And I feel like we are so quick to get stuck in a feedback loop because like you said there's so many modern stressors that concern us that we never escape this cycle. So it's like how do you move past that? What are some things we can do in your opinion to go past that instinct of reacting or instinct to react I should say
0: absolutely so the number one thing that we can all do to manage fear is just to be more aware and more informed so when I talk about how I work with organizations it's really funny because most people will bring me in for my business experience you know my strategy work and job design and performance metric development and how we align all of that with compensation. Basically, you know, management consulting 101 and how we structure organizations to be very efficient, to be very profitable, to grow their revenue. And what's interesting along the way is that we find out that there's a lot of things behind, you know, growth and around, you know, effective teams and all that. And one of the things that we can do is we can just be more aware of how we're communicating or not communicating about how, uh, you know, what makes us tick and what makes our team members tick and really just being very aware of that communication and what's happening. And and today it's really hard because we know that nonverbal communication, man, it screams, right? Like we think what we say is important, but like how we are positioning our body, what we're doing with our feet. If we're Mm -hmm. in a room, I mean, it's harder today with Zoom, but you know, those foot taps, the directions of the feet, there's all kinds of interesting people that you can study that look at nonverbal communication and how incredibly important that is. But today it's, you know, Zoom can give us a lot too. I mean, you can kind of tell what people are doing with their arms and you can get a sense of tension in people's faces and in their voices. And, and that's really important too. So it starts with a commitment to being aware of it. And if you're not aware of it, get outside objective help to become more aware.
1: Yeah. I I love that you say it takes commitment. That is a huge part of this development is we have to be committed. This is not a means to an end. So many people think that it is a means to an end. I know, and I don't know if you know from... Previous experience, I know when I was not emotionally intelligent, maybe you've always been emotionally intelligent, but for me, I know I have not always been. And during those times when I would react, I don't care how many times people said I had a problem and I needed to be aware of it. I could not, until I was ready, I could not become aware of it. Instead, I become defensive. So do you have any techniques or strategies to open people up to that actual or more accurate awareness of themselves.
0: Gosh, this could be like, there's an infinite list because it's really personal, but I'll just think of maybe my top tips about um, establishing like self-awareness and that leads to self-leadership. Because it's really all about the self. Like you can't really look at some other team member and say like, I wish they would change. I wish they would stop being more defensive or they would stop being defensive in general. Instead, what we can do is look at ourselves and we can apply some tools so we can get really practical here for a moment. There's some amazing things. I mean, the vagus nerve is just this uh, incredible structure in the body that connects the brain to all of the different organs um it's called the vagal nerve because it comes from vagus or or you know vagabond, right? It's like the same semantic origins of of wandering and so it goes it's connected to a lot of different places in the body, and a lot of us, when we get all you know choked up on fear or stuck, um, really could do some wonderful things to activate that nerve so it it ranges from like the simple. Having a sip of water, gargling, um, even just a little yawn or stretch or something like that—something simple. Deep breaths can go a long way. And then it goes all the way down the spectrum of like really cool gadgets out there that that actually stimulate the vagus nerve. I've got one for my son where he can listen to his music and you just put the you know the earphone in there and it's a vagal nerve stimulator. Um, there's all different kinds of cranial electrical stimulation devices. So there's a lot of things, but just being aware of the fact that that's kind of the you know, and people can look at um, Dr. Stephen Porges' work and um, his incredible uh, theories about you know what fight, flight, or freeze is really about, and what that happens in the body anatomically speaking.
1: Mm-hmm. But just
0: to be aware that there is very simplistically, I know you've talked about the sympathetic and parasympathetic yeah. nervous systems. Just um, I used to have on my. I'm getting really tactical here because I think it's helpful for people to go. Yeah, okay, definitely, 100. I listened to this interview. Like, what do I do? Um, I used to have, I'm, I'm very much a person that goes to my daily tasks and then I have my weekly, my monthly, my quarterly and my annually. And then I go into the five year and 10 year, but I used to have on my, I don't need it anymore because it's like, this is the, one of the first things I do is I had a thing in there that said, what was the thing that I did today to, to activate the parasympathetic?
1: Oh, yeah. So it, was like okay. a day, it
0: was like a, che- it was part of my checklist and it used to feel that way. Like, okay, what did I do? Uh, but really if people can become aware of doing that and, and more frequently, you don't have to spend an hour, you know, doing a, Right. there's a, def- a beautiful device called new calm, uh, which for people like me that had trouble you know, athletes and military and, and anyone that's really just jacked up in their nervous system, you know, might need a little bit of help in kind of understanding what that feels like to go really, really deep. I used to just schedule my, you know, new calm sessions, 20 minutes, sometimes 50 five oh minutes. Um, and that would be a one way I would do it. Or you could just have these little tips. Like I said, the gurgling and the, you know, swallowing and, um, deep breathing and a brief meditation. You know, those are kinds of things that are, are better done more frequently because otherwise, and you've probably seen this, you know, the stress response, stress, stress is a good thing. Like you stress, if we didn't have stress, um, when I'm saying you stress, I'm doing you know the EU. Yeah, right. Um, if we didn't have any stress at all, we wouldn't get out of bed. Like stress is actually a good thing to yeah. a certain degree, but it's how we respond. And what I um, what I learned, and there's different um, you know techniques that you can you can go see somebody and actually do an assessment on yourself, a, a physical and psychological assessment where it will show your response to stress, and do you fully recover? From that, or does it continue to rise? And does it, when I say fully recovered, you come back down to your resting state and then go back up and then go down? Or do you when this is what I what I used to do is I used to get kind of stressed out, I'd go up into that stress response Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't come down that far. It was like, come on, I'm I'm no longer doing that difficult math thing or whatever they were having me doing, or trying to, you know, keep the soccer ball within a particular um, you know, frame on the computer screen when I was doing the test, but I wouldn't fully recover when it was over. So what I saw, and you can see this on a daily basis, you can see it on a weekly, monthly, quarterly. If you're not bringing yourself down, you're always starting from a higher level. And so if you get to the end of the day and you've done nothing to fully recover from those stresses, you're just talking about cortisol, cortisol, you're starting yeah. up way here, you're ending up way yeah. here. And then that starts to become this pattern that you, you don't want to be in if you want to be the best version of yourself.
1: Yeah. It's like you're constantly recalibrating like a new equilibrium in a sense, like you're establishing, I feel like it's the same way with mood, right? You have this baseline mood and it fluctuates. You can be happier or more sad or depressed or whatever, but it always kind of comes back to that state. But what you're saying is we can readjust that new balance state. But this is like this can be from day or week or month, and then over the course of a year, you see it consistently rising as well. That's what you're saying, right?
0: Yeah, it's like I love the work of Marcy Um uh, She was she wrote Happy for No Reason and some other amazing books. You know, Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul and Love for No Reason. She talks about us having a happiness set point, and her whole book, Happy for No Reason, is all about how we can raise that set point. So it's a, it's a parallel concept. It's not the same one as our stress response, but it's, again, it's about this awareness of like, when I wake up in the morning, like, how happy am I? What is my yeah. regular set point for happiness? And you know, Brittany, Nicole, through all of your work with positive psychology, that there are absolutely oh, ways yeah. to increase that set point. And why wouldn't we want to do yeah. that? Why wouldn't we want to be happy?
1: That's so true. Tell me a little bit about you had mentioned her book and a few other books, but you've written a few books of your own. So tell me about those.
0: So, where should I start? I have written six books. Um, I haven't started on another one. Everyone keeps asking me, What's your next book? And, um, you know, books just take so much time out of the day to day, and you really got to carve out. You know, from that client work and from that revenue producing work in the moment, um, time to write a book. But it is so satisfying. And what a beautiful legacy piece, as you know, because you just published your amazing first book. So you might have many more in you. I do work with authors about how they want to create their legacy piece as well. And I have a lot of that on my website. Um, but i 'll talk about my first book because that was probably well they 're all they 've all been really fun. My first book was called Mountain Mantras, Wellness and Life Lessons, and that was it was weaving together a story of me learning how to ski as an adult and skiing is a very for a child, a very visceral, very natural experience where mm-hmm. it 's very fun and doesn't hurt that much, but when you 're learning in your forties, it is like a falling down frustrating. Talk about facing fears, right? I'm not yeah. really a mountain girl from birth. And right. um, and I intellectualized it. And what I found, and I would like test this out on every lift ride. You know, they, uh, they say in the mountains that like the lift ride is like the elevator ride. If you mm-hmm. want to like pitch something or describe something instead of it being an elevator pitch, you've got just that lift line, like make it crystal clear. And uh, I would talk to people and I would say, well, you know, it, to me, it seems like when we place our pole it's like placing an intention or like where I want to go and like what my next thing is that I'm going to do. And then I go around that pole and then I place another one. Like, does that make any sense in terms of like breaking down a huge long vision or like in the case of skiing, like a huge, long, scary run Mm -hmm. and saying like, I'm not going to try to take this whole thing in one fell swoop. I'm actually going to break it down and do one pole at a time. And they're like, oh, that's really interesting. Never thought about it that like you should write a book about it right so wow <laughs> that book is basically the six mantras of like intellectualizing skiing yeah. while still having fun and then tying it into how that works both in wellness but also in the business world and so that was a lot of a lot of fun i'm only going to mention one other book because it's sort of my heart child and um i also in my career have run a nonprofit and still run a nonprofit called nurture And it's interesting because we teach children and families about how to eat healthy. We also teach a little bit about sleep and physical activity. But our main thing is like cooking and letting kids taste foods and and learning all about the wonderful benefits of of vegetables and things from, from Mother Nature and the colors. And so I had always wanted to have a leave behind for our programs around Rainbow Days. So we would have a whole school so cute. Like the kids, each grade would get assigned a color and they would be in the ambassador of that color. So if they got, you know, the oranges, they would know all the fruits and vegetables that were orange and and they'd bring in pumpkins and oranges and tangerines and all exotic things. They'd get really creative. And they would be these ambassadors saying like, this is really good for your eyes. This has got all these you know, vitamins in the in the you know color and and they would know like the part of the body like i said like eyes for the orange they would know that red was good for the cardiovascular system well we wouldn't use that word but it was good for the heart and the brain yeah and the book give it a go eat a rainbow really was that leave behind that i made with my son so there was one year when he was in seventh grade when uh, we homeschooled him and he took classes at the art institute of chicago and he learned all about something oh. augmented reality. So taking real photos, which is so important for nutrition, because it's one thing to see like a drawn picture of a fig or a, you know, some kind of fruit or whatever, which a yeah. fig is, but yeah. you know, it, there's another thing of being exposed through the actual item. So we layered whimsical drawings, um, gender neutral, racial neutral, meaning the character could be cut out and colored and put into any outfit or length of hair, whatever, um, into this book. And then we would bring it to the kids, we'd allow them to create their own Blake. And then of course, it was this leave behind adventure of how fruits and vegetables were good for the body. So to me, I mean, I would say that's my love child in terms of a book, because it was just sort of culminating so many years of working with children and families and teachers and them saying like, Catherine, this works for like a couple of weeks. The kids are bringing baby carrots and their snacks and they love it, but it fades over time. So what can we do to keep this up? So it was that aspect of finally um, coming up with something that hit all of the things that we wanted to hit, but also to make it part of a family affair
1: was just yeah. beautiful. That is amazing. And that's so true with almost anything, right? That behavior or habit has to be consistently modeled, whether that's at home or by the teacher or by peers, or it's just not going to stick. I mean, we become a, we are a product of our environment unless we have the emotional intelligence to uh, get out of that gravitational pull that it usually has on us. But um, I love that. I saw the book on your website and it was very pretty, very colorful. So that's awesome. So I feel like, and I don't know where I may have pulled the gear on the the rails. Where do we go with the fruits and vegetables and blood? I feel like I completely took us so off course, um, which I tend to do in my interviews because I just love natural conversation how do we know if we have healthy blood or not? And like, what can we do? Tell us more about blood.
0: Sure. And, and you're not at all off course. We're not off course. We're having fun. This is hopefully really, really fun for the listener. And then we're going to get to some more actionable items about what we can do to learn more about ourselves. Because when we were first kicking this off, I was talking about being a mirror and having more awareness and more education about ourselves. Well, yeah. when it comes to health, I encourage people to to learn a little bit and about some things that are not necessarily super super high tech or expensive, and so those two things are genes, um, which I do with my clients, and we look at you know genetic SNPs and really actionable, not that hard um, lifestyle in- interventions that can help us in our individual blueprint, you know, our individual customized snips you know i know the genes for everybody in my family my, or for everybody in my family oh wow and we're all a little different um but we can sit down and we can look at sort of what oh my gosh you know maybe you're not really suited to dairy maybe you are um mm-hmm. different things about i mean it's really fun with my daughter who's very active you know looking at her physical activity um, so genes are one part of it but then let's get to blood okay so when it comes to blood blood is is been around forever um i have been seeing the same general practitioner since I was 27. I'm now 50. So what wow. I took upon myself was to actually put all of my blood markers from my blood tests into, it was an Excel spreadsheet at the time, but now it's a Google sheet. And then I could kind of get a sense and actually it ties in beautifully to genetics because there are even things that we can look at that helps us to see if we have a propensity towards you know, some glucose regulation issues or not. Mm-hmm. And so we can actually look at different markers over time. So when we talk about blood, okay, there's, there's the actual markers themselves. Let's just say, you know, fasting glucose. And it gets complex there because it's relative to self, right? So what am I doing over time? Like, what is my fasting glucose over time? Why was it in the 80s, you know, in this decade? And why is it creeping up? towards the mid nineties, which is not necessarily a great thing from a functional medicine standpoint. And what can I start to do about it? And I'm actually talking about myself um, when I'm talking about that particular marker. And so it's relative to self. It's also relative to the ranges that I call traditional ranges. So those are the ones that you see on like the Quest or the LabCorp, you know, kind of tells you, are you low, are you high? And then it flags it but there's also functional ranges and that's, you know, this around this whole or within this whole realm of functional medicine and kind of looking at disease before it happens. And I think that that is really, really important today, especially when we're talking about learning more about ourselves and, and being more emotionally intelligent. You know, when we just have come from the doctor and we found out that our cholesterol is three times what it should be, we are not going to be our best version. We are not in our highest emotional intelligence state to have that meeting or that discussion. Right. Um, So when we talk about blood work, I love to get really proactive and say, okay, let's look at it in terms of relative to self, relative to traditional ranges, relative to functional ranges. And then there's just so much more in there in terms of where we can go to kind of become the more optimal versions of ourselves. And I really mean in terms of what we're seeing on those tests, but also how we feel and how we feel confident about how we have control over our brain body system. And, yeah. and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this back to you in a second, but I'm also gonna say there's also this thing going on right now about blood type. And so there's, there's a, a very simple you know, list of different blood types that people can have. It's based on either... You know, one's um, antibodies, your reaction to antigens, which is either A, B, or both. Um, or you can be reactive to nothing, which is uh, an O. Um, so there's that aspect of blood type, but there's also the RH factor, and that is either your positive or negative. And so I believe it's important, number one, to know where your blood type is so that you can know, are you a universal donor? Um, you know, Do you happen to have a really rare blood type? And You know, what can you do if you know, if you're older, if you think you might be coming up towards a point where you need surgery or something, you know, how can you be proactive in your conversations with your medical providers to make sure that, you know, that you're, if you ever were to need blood, um, you know, my dad had a very significant um, heart surgery and he is OB negative, OB some, or sorry, AB, sorry, AB. So you can be the, you can be A, you can be AB you can be B, you can be O, and any one of those blood types can be um, positive or negative. And what's interesting right now with COVID is that uh, they are seeing some correlations, not talking about causations. And I'm not even saying that this is true or black and white. I am saying that they're starting to see some interesting research, and I've been reading through it, about one's susceptibility to the severity of symptoms based on blood type. And and I just, I saw it in my own family. You know, I'm blood type B, so is my husband. You know, we had more severe symptoms. My son is O, um, O negative actually. And we didn't even know he had COVID. Like you couldn't wow. even tell. He was wow. completely asymptomatic. So um, I just think it's one of those things. It's like, it's, it's interesting not to create fear, right? Um, right? Because there are obviously ways of knowing it uh, or of, of managing things, but- It's just such a simple test. It's been around forever to know your blood type, to know your blood markers. Why don't we just empower ourselves, feel a little bit more in control? And guess what? That fear grip starts to loosen.
1: Yeah. I don't even know what blood type I am. I actually asked whenever I had a biometric screening last year, I said, "Is, is there a way you can tell my blood type? They said, oh, well, if you log in under your records, it'll show there. I, I never saw it, so I have no clue. I feel like that should be something that should be on your license. You know
0: you know it's interesting you can you can um, here's another great action item if people are interested about their blood type. You can just order a kit. So back in the day there was this wonderful book called Eat Right for Your Type. and yeah. it was actually it was a following the theory that actually certain blood types, Align better with certain types of diets, hmm. and you know, I'll just say in a nutshell what this theory says is that like blood types O would be more suited towards the you know meat eating ancestral kind of diets, whereas the A would be more suited towards like the agricultural you know plant based plant based diets. Uh, so I was actually curious about my blood type because of that um, piece of my nutrition training, and so when. I wanted to know my son's blood type and he wanted to know too. Like, you don't, you can't make somebody learn something about themselves. They don't want to know, but he's like, I want to know you can do it together. So you just order from eat right for your type. It's $10. They ship it to your house. You prick your finger. You just kind of put the little drops of blood on a card and you just use the card to read uh, what type you are. So it's, it's really easy. It's $10. And I love anything. totally going to do that. You can do it at home.
1: Yeah. Totally going to do that. Um, so you're talking about, you know, when people are provided this information, that they have high cholesterol, we're talking about the emotional intelligence piece of that. Um, Acceptance, acknowledgement, first off, I don't know if you want to accept it and not do anything about it. That's not what I mean about acceptance, but saying, yes, this is what I have, acknowledging that and then saying, what am I going to do about it? Because you were saying that it impacts they go home and it it just kind of impacts everything. So kind of expand on that a little bit more. What, what all does that impact?
0: Well, sure. Let's take that, that case where somebody fun, found out that they have very high cholesterol and then they decide, okay, well this I'm deer in the headlights. I don't know what to do about it. Um, my appointment with my medical provider was 15 minutes and you know, there was some discussion of a pharmaceutical, I don't really want to go down that route. I'm just going to forget about it. Well, your brain's not going to forget about that because that Mm -hmm. actually is a survival, um, you know, input, right? Mm -hmm. And so they might go home, they might be distracted, might not be listening to the conversation at home. You know, kids feel like, oh, you know, mom or dad's not present. Then you go to sleep, maybe you don't sleep well. You know, it just starts to snowball,
1: but not in a good way. That reminds me of when we were talking about displacement and projection. Remember in our conversation and how if we do not properly handle handle that emotion, then we just transfer that emotion. And I think also like if someone has high cholesterol, depending on their personality type or how they handle situations, that could cause them to... Eat things that are less healthy that increases that right. Um, I've always been told that it's like bad fats and uh, like cholesterol and eggs, but that's I don't know a ton about cholesterol. Now that I'm thinking about it, so what? Well, what does is not a bad cost?
0: thing? We actually produce cholesterol naturally or endogenous really? in our body. Yeah, it's not okay. A bad thing educate at all. me,
1: please. I'm totally, um, I mean, when it comes to, that. to
0: eggs, gosh, you know, when I first started teaching nutrition, we had the pyramids, yikes. And then, mm-hmm. you know, one of my heroes, Michelle Obama, was able to to get through the My Plate, and, and uh, Harvard has a healthy plate that replaces the milk with water. But so on cholesterol, it is not a bad thing. We actually would die without cholesterol, um, it's a very important, um, you know, thing that we produce endogenously. But let's go back to this case and then, and then talk a little bit more about int- uh, emotional intelligence because I was just thinking that you know that person you were talking about, they might eat poorly. Well, let's just say this program is now running in the background, right? And mm-hmm. we can't really stop the program because it's part of our subconscious. And we're worried and we're, this has to do with our survival. And then we go to an office gathering and there's the most amazing donuts. Like you're from the South, right? So there's oh, yeah. Krispy Kreme. Krispy donuts, cream, there. definitely. Dogs,
1: and... donuts. <laughs> oh, you said the magic and... word. Mm, sorry. Right. And so, you <laughs> know,
0: um, I, went, I went to underground the cell. So, oh yeah, I'm very familiar with, uh, with Krispy Kreme. And so you just, you, oh, you haven't had any. In fact, you've had this like, you know, you've been trying to eat well, but you're just, you don't know if it's even having an impact. And so you're frustrated by that. Like, why have I been denying myself? And so I'm mm-hmm. going to have three. But then, okay, you've, you're done with the donuts. You're done with that um, delicious, you know, response that people get to, you know, to you know, yeah. high-fat, high-sugar foods. But then this, then this program starts again. It kicks in and it goes, well, you're such a bad person because you did that. And you know what? What do you want to do? Like, die and leave your kids, like, you know, orphans, and and leave your spouse, like, all alone. And by the way, you never really took care of those, you know, end-of-life documents. And you're so unorganized. And this stories building. And, and then guess what? You get mad at that person that brought the. How dare that colleague mm-hmm. of mine mm-hmm. bring those donuts in? Don't they yeah. have any care for me or for my family or for the fact that I haven't put my end of life documents in place? So it just becomes this thing. And guess what? It gets worse and worse from an emotional intelligence standpoint, because try to sit down with that person that brought in the donuts yeah. and have a, a meaningful, um, you know, tribal, you know, let's feel, feel safe conversation. It's just not yeah. going to happen.
1: I think that's one of the most frustrating things for me whenever I just look at society and I was the, everything that bothers me today that I see, I used to do that or I used to be that person or act that way, behave that way. So I I'm empathetic to them, but we have to start taking responsibility or we're never going to see progress or change And I thought, what if we approached every situation, every unpleasant situation, as if we had some piece of the fault? Maybe not all the fault, you know, but many people do not approach it with any responsibility. It's instant defenses go up, right? And so then we get into that when the defenses go up, we're in that fear state again, leading back to the feedback loop. Well you know? what's so
0: interesting about that um narrative around okay well then this happened and they didn't treat me well and then I went here and somebody cut me off in traffic and then the person at the store was really rude and then I went back to my office and everybody was in you know this funk around you know trying to get yeah. this project done well guess what the common denominator is in all of those situations it's you right yep. and i'm not saying you Brittany Nicole i'm no, saying it's no but us, it was right? it was yeah so so yeah, that's just, that's, um, that's another Jack Canfield thing. It's like, take 100% responsibility yeah. for your life. And Marilyn Suttle, who I interviewed on my podcast, she talks about, and she's like one of the top 10 global gurus on customer service. And she said, you take a hundred percent responsibility for 50% of your relationships. I just love that.
1: Yeah. 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 I love that. Because I was about to say, I thought you were going in the direction with take a hundred percent responsibility for everything that goes wrong. And that's like one of my pet peeves is when customer service, you know, it's the customer's always right. And it's like, no, we're teaching people, you know, that they should be pushovers and that other people, if they complain enough can get what they want. And that's not cool, but I'm glad you did. That was not the direction you were going with that. So that was a pleasant surprise.
0: Yep. Yeah, we are the common denominator, but we cannot control others. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: so true. Um, Let me ask you this, since you are all things health and wellness and nutrition. One thing that I've personally noticed is when I am under um, stress, I guess, but even if I'm tired and fatigued, like I love healthy foods. But when I'm, I'm in those states, like I always gravitate towards things that are not healthy and it's not really sugar. There's, well, I guess it is because carbs turn into sugar, but like what exactly causes us to gravitate towards those, I guess, comfort foods whenever we're in that state, is it the sugar that's released Um, that causes the dopamine rush that we're seeking or what exactly causes us to gravitate towards that?
0: So I'm going to look at this from a, from an ancestral standpoint and sort of what we, because we've never really, if you look at the, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, we've never before now been in a circumstance where food was always plentiful. We've always been in a state where, you know, we needed to gather food when we could gather it. And we needed to store body fat when we could. And that was our survival. Mm -hmm. So we have this ancestral or innate preference for sweet. And so that really has to do with, you know, going after those berries when they were ripe and getting all those phytonutrients and yummy things that come from, you know, the fiber and everything that's in those fruits and vegetables. And I'm just using berries because they're really, really sweet. So that's why we have that instinct. And then you know, it's really this combination. Again, we've never seen this before in the history of, of humankind to be able to chemically alter foods yeah. so that they're like going after our sweet spots. So if you think about the sugar and you think about the fat, and then you add in the salt. Okay. So we, we always mm, yeah. need electrolytes to live and to keep our systems in balance. I just mentioned the sweet and then the fat is sort of you know being able to store the fat and and increase energy, satiety. Yeah, yeah, energy and not be hungry. Now, what you know the big uh, food companies are doing now is they're not creating food in. Gardens, it's in laboratories, and so what we say in my family, Is like that's not a food, that's like a food like substance. Those chips, or you know, those processed things that are that we do reach for when we are doing that I'm putting in air quotes like the emotional eating. Yeah, um, that's a food like substance, and it is altered um, by very, very smart scientists to you know trigger those innate or ancestral needs for the sweet, salty and fat. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, it's not really natural for it always to be available. And it's not natural for it to be combined the way it is. And it's just, it's a really sneaky, smart way to get people addicted, you know, to those tastes and just have their taste buds,
1: you
0: know, like it just hijacks, um, your, your ability to control yourself.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's really addicting. Like it's a problem. I say one more chip, I eat that one. I'm like, "Mm, just one more. And then another one. Yeah.
0: Yep. It's not just you. And with kiddos, I worry so much about sugar and it's that added sugar. I mean, the the fruits and the vegetables, like even carrots, have plenty of sugar, but it's naturally occurring sugar. And, you know, I've heard it said that, you know, sugar is the new cocaine. It's like it is highly highly addictive. It's going to the same, you know, basal ganglia, like the very deep parts of our brain. And, um, you know, I, I know if I see my kids kind of over consuming sugar, like I clear out and let them, you know, I clear out of the room after like when it's been an hour and they've had like high, high, high sugar intake, you know, they're basically like already, you know, kind of almost like detoxing from it and kind of it's coming out in, strange behavior talk about emotional um, emotional mm. intelligence we are not um <laughs> highly emotionally intelligent I, an hour after we've had you know two pieces of, of birthday cake with like tons and tons of frosting on it
1: interesting very interesting because our blood sugar us. going
0: back to our blood yeah like our blood sugar has just taken a dive because it was all jacked up and we released insulin to manage it because our bodies you know want to keep homeostasis and we know we, we're not supposed to have all of that, you know, blood you know blood sugar circulating and so we release the insulin takes our blood sugar down and we're like, "Whoa, I don't feel so great."
1: Mm. See, I I didn't know anything really about that. Like I heard of insulin, you know, blood sugar's high, but how it worked and how long it stayed in the system, I didn't know. So we're turning this into an intelligent podcast as well <laughs> instead of just an emotional intelligence podcast. I love that. I love just kind of like bumping all over the place. It doesn't have to, because it, like you said, it all fits together. Um, And I think being able to to tie the web or create the web for listeners, because we talk about so many different things, but a lot of things stays with emotions. So I love when we get into um, the physiology of it as well and the biology. I want to ask you one more thing because you you asked me a stun question as well, or you did a quick fire questions i 'm not, I'm not as quick on my toes with quick fire questions as you are, but uh, I do want to ask how did you get into your field like how did you because you can tell you 're passionate about it
0: sure, okay, so when I graduated from my master 's program in one thousand nine hundred and ninety five mm-hmm. um, with my MBA from U T Austin, I went right into management consulting and I worked in that and climbed the ladder all the way up to principal. Uh, So I had a seven figure business that I was running where I was, um, you know, selling projects to large corporations, all the ones that we recognize, like, you know, GE and IBM and Motorola and uh, really having a good time and uh, felt very, very successful. This was pre-kids. And then also um, I worked during, you know, my first, you know, my daughter and then I was on bed rest, um, actually, oh, was wow. my second. So that kind of put a, a, a glitch into that whole system. Um, but I I, en- I really enjoyed the project quality of, you know, working on these um, outside objective um, projects. And then just the, the solutions-oriented approach. I mean, a lot, a lot of times these companies, you'd think, how am I going to know the answer uh, to this problem that the, you know, top-level teams in this huge company, they can't really figure out themselves. And it was about a process. And It was about trusting a process that we had done over and over and over and over. And, and just, I never really knew what the answer was either, but I knew that the process would get us there. So I really, really loved that. But because of what happened with my health, it was really complex when i had my second child. I won't go into all of it, but it did include things like, um, surgery and infected incision and lots and lots of antibiotics Then just it was my first real entrance into um, the world of repeated medical care and some of the frustration that comes with that. I think a lot of people that are in my field, sort of natural medicine, Maybe even had sick childhoods, you know, and so they really have that deep-rooted passion to to help others through what is a very very painful time, and confusing time. But mine was sort of later in life, so that was sort of what happened there. And then when my kids, when my daughter was born in 2000, I learned that one out of three kids that were born in the year 2000 will develop diabetes if they follow the standard American diet, which really or not stand is sad, right? Standard American diet. And it's two out of three for kids that are in diverse populations, you know, low-income families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it just, that broke my heart. And, um, but not so much that I wasn't ready to do something about it. So I started a nonprofit organization that targeted the schools where they were, had the most children on free, reduced um, school lunch program. And I speak Spanish. Um, That's a long story of my time in Mexico and uh, being a baby in South America and all kinds of other that's
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah. So I was able to, uh, to bring in, and I did some international projects when I was um, in management consulting, but this was really kind of the language of, of, you know, speaking to families and talking about health and nutrition. And that was, that is today still very, very important in what I do. I think having this kind of, um, you know, I talk about my love book well I have my love project and that is my nonprofit work and being able to work with people that uh, might not otherwise have access because access yeah. is an issue. Like, don't you ever think about it too when you're working with an organization and they have these huge budgets that they can put in through leadership or development or whatever the budget that you're working through? And it's like, well, what about these you know startup companies that maybe don't have that budget, or what about you know these. Solopreneurs or very small organizations. I just kind of go, oh, it's not fair. Yeah. Um, and so the the idea of of providing through nonprofit work access to things that people would not normally have access to is a still very important part of my life. And um, so I've, I still run Nurture today. That's the name of the nonprofit. And then after about ten years of that, I wanted to get back to. Um, you know, going back to school again, I went back to school for graduate studies in, in counseling psychology and did a lot of work there before I decided, oh, I don't want to diagnose people. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to put labels on people. And yeah. that's a whole different profession. I love everyone that's in that field. And I'm working side by side to take the stigma of getting help and getting therapy. Um, I'm absolutely passionate about that. But the math, the natural medicine part uh really was just it was an interesting coupling to uh growing up in the household of a yale-trained biochemist really Mm -hmm. more on that traditional side and 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 having all these conversations with my dad um who's still with us today and i love i just talked to him last night but he was also behind the the uh the genesis of the nonprofit. just sort of we would go for these walk and talks and i think from an emotional intelligence standpoint um, I can often be the best version of myself when I am moving my body and there's that blood flow going back to yeah. the blood, um, you know, the blood flow to my brain and um, good ideas come from it. And we actually come, we came up with the idea of nurture um, on a walk and talk and kind of looking at some of the research around diabetes. The natural medicine allowed me to have my own stake in the world of health because it was very different than what my dad was trained in. And you know, he was the chairman of two departments at a medical school. And um, so I didn't go to medical school. Um, I went to a school for natural medicine and um, was all about the brain and body. And um, I just have found that what is so neat about it is that field, which includes some quantum physics and some bridges between quantum physics and medical um, applications. You know, that is so far ahead. I have to say, when I look at research and I'm like, what? This isn't in every doctor's office today. It's because it, there's this long... lag time between some of that research and some of those technologies and and what we're able to provide in the traditional setting. So I'm always learning. So trying to wrapping this up, I love solving problems. I love projects. I love things that are really complicated. I love thinking, oh, we can't solve something, but you know what, if we follow the process, we can have faith that we can get it done and just helping people. And that's that nonprofit work, all of those things kind of wrapped together into what I do today. And yes, I do love it, so.
1: That's amazing, that's fantastic. What you were saying about uh, with, um, gosh, what did you say, quantum physics? Did you mention? Yeah. I did. So whenever we talk about psychology or anything that's very, I don't know, not um, it's not commonly or widely accepted, It's it's not the norm people just kind of scoff at it and say, oh, that's woo-woo, right? Mm -hmm. And then decades later, oh, look, there's all this research backing it and behind it. And I've just always thought it interesting that people can get behind um, chemicals they're putting in their body that they can't even pronounce because they're so long. They have no clue what it is. They can do that. But then when you try to give them a holistic approach, something that makes sense. It's very intuitive. They're like, oh, that's baloney. That, that doesn't work. That's garbage. Does that not just kind of blow your mind?
0: Well, there's this funny story that I heard about the word quantum. It's, like, it's uh, sometimes thought of in science as like, oh, if you put the title quantum on it, it means you can't explain it um, or there's no science behind it. it. And so it is funny because, you know, I had the pleasure of some of my teachers being Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. Oh, Bruce Lipton. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of research in it. It's, it's, um, you know, when I, I used uh, photobiomodulation as one of the modalities in my research, which is basically just red light therapy. And, you know, I couldn't, there was no way I could read all of the peer reviewed journal studies on, the the efficacy of it use it for for TBI for pain for you know neurological issues 4,500 peer-reviewed journals. and I was just looking through them all and going oh my gosh this is actually studied wow. so you know when somebody says oh that's just woo-woo or that's just you, know, you can't explain it you know I don't get into arguments I actually think that's such a waste of energy um, I try to stay open-minded myself and I rather be uh, in happy relationships, than be right. So if somebody wants to prove me wrong, great. I, I'll, I'll lie down on my side and let them scratch my belly. Um, I'm not going to fight them instead. And so I think part of that is just for people to, especially today in this super div- divided world that we live in, in terms of like my view, your view. You know, I think if we could all just kind of be like a. I know you've got a cat, and I've got my dogs here. Be like a, be like a puppy and roll on her on her side and just like let let that you know, belly scratch happen. We don't have to fight all the time. And, and maybe we might just learn something and just feel a little bit more comfortable in our bodies and, you know, getting back to that fear, maybe just let that go a little bit and um, experience life with a higher level of happiness.
1: Yeah. I feel like too many people feel like uh, instead of getting a belly rub, their ankles are getting bitten by other people, you know, it's like, because even then people don't want to when they're trying to convince you of what they believe, they don't even do it in a nice way. They don't try to explain it. Have you noticed that? It's still an attack. It's like they're attacking you in their explanation because they're preparing for that potential defense afterwards. Um, So, yeah, but we all I love how you went with that metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) I think more people should definitely get belly rubs instead or give belly rubs for sure
0: both ways. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, Dr. K, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I hope all of you listening and viewing enjoyed this. I know I did. I enjoyed hopping around with you and also speaking on a topic that I am completely unaware of. So thank you so much for enlightening me as well. Um, How can people find you? And I will put this in the show notes as well.
0: Sure. So my main website is makeeverythingfun.com and that houses all of my courses and podcasts and books and all these free resources. It also has information about my nonprofit on there. So the the nurture tab just kind of goes through all of the things that that I do in my love projects. So that's my home base. At the bottom footer there's all the connections to different social media. So just a like a fun place to go and and learn and open-minded and people can contact me through my website as well.
1: It's a def, it's definitely a fun place to go. I was on your website looking at recipes for a good amount of time. I'm like scrolling through. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this looks so good. And, and some of them are just really easy to make as well. They're very healthy and they don't take a lot of time. And that's what's been holding me by back a lot lately is I just don't feel like I have the time, which I know I do have the time. I'm not prioritizing it, right, to make healthy foods instead I'm putting it towards my business, but I am definitely working on that because I have noticed, I told you about my cat allergies um at the beginning of the call. I've noticed that since I have not been eating healthy that my symptoms have worsened. Now I have like kind of a sore scratchy throat, more itchy watery eyes. I don't remember having severe symptoms like that before I messed up my diet. So very important. Well, get
0: out that slow cooker, honey. I mean, now that it's winter, it might not be that cold where you are, but a lot of the recipes certainly with nurture was all about using slow cookers and rice cookers to, to address that issue. It's not just time, you know, with the families we work with at nurture, it's about budget and it's also about, you know, just sort of know how it cannot be a 10 step process um, where you feel like if you're going to make a mistake, the whole thing is going to be over. Um, so yeah, have fun with it. Keep it simple.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you.